second home church. I'm gonna kick it with Great Little Zion for a while. In the absence of your pastor, thank you so much, Dr. Murphy, who is getting good rest. Preachers need to rest. Let him rest. It is a mantle to carry. So we thank God for him and his family. And to my pastor, Howard John Wesley, for giving me the opportunity to leave the house again. I thank him for it. And my crew is here. It keeps growing every time I come here. I got more people with me. I'm so excited. Uh, my husband and that little boy made it, Andrew and Micah. Please wave your hand. Hey, son. And my line sister, one of my best friends, is here. She came last time, but this time she brought her whole crew. Her husband's here, Hugh, my buddy, and my baby, Ava Grace, is here. Yeah, they've they been practicing that wave for the last 10 minutes, boy. They, they were wedding. So I thank God for them. To my Delta sisters that are here, all my friends and family, it's time for preaching. I told the 8 o'clock this is a hard word to give, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you would stand to your feet. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I won't keep you long, but I'm going to keep you long enough to do what God says. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of these verses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. If you have it, please say amen. I'm going to read it in the interest of time. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Stay standing. I want you to hear something. This is not in your Bibles unless you have the Message Bible. I'm going to read a translation that I want you to hear that will give us context for the Word of God. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. This is the Message Translation, and it reads, Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop and on a light stand, church, shine. Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. Just for a few moments, I want to preach from the subject, turn the lights back on. Turn the lights back on. It was February 3rd, 2013 in New Orleans, Louisiana. The stage was set for the most epic day of the year, Super Bowl Sunday. And that year, the Ravens happened to be playing the San Francisco 49ers and religious sports fans and not so religious sports fans are glued to the TV to eat those wings every single year. The first half was amazing. The Ravens commanded the game as many believe that they would. They went into the locker room for halftime and my girl Beyonce graced the stage with Destiny's Child with a nice reunion on the field. 
Then the second half began, as usual, there was a kickoff, and then the players do what they always do. They run back to the line of scrimmage because it's time to start the game, but then something happened. While the world was watching, this international broadcast was interrupted because on live TV, the lights went off. For 34 minutes, the Superdome was running on backup generator power. There were no escalators, no concessions being sold. The fans were even stuck in the elevators. All things that were functional no longer functioned because there was no electrical power. The world was watching. And then the lights went off. Officials ultimately revealed that sensing mechanisms found an abnormality in the power system that triggered an automatic shutdown, which forced backup systems to kick in. Now, if you know anything about sports, if you're a real sports fan, you know there's something called a momentum shift. And that's when something happens that changes the direction of the game in favor on one side and in opposition to the other. You see, the Ravens, they were following a perfect game plan. They were winning by 22 points going into halftime. And then they thought that their work was done. And then the lights went off. Then the momentum shifted, and reporters after the game spoke to some players, and players said it with a resounding theme that when the lights went off, all hell broke loose. The strategies and plays that were effective in the first half of the game meant nothing in the second half because while the world was watching, the lights went off. Now, this sounds all too familiar, church, because quiet as it's kept, the church has been operating like the Ravens were, operating on an eight-track mentality when everyone else is on iTunes and Pandora. Church, we've been on one side of the sidelines, boxed into our one-track minds on our own little comfort zones, and we got a nerve to even be feeling good about ourselves, like we've done something to scratch the surface of what God has really called for us to do. And meanwhile, the lights have gone off. Satan's minions have sensing mechanisms and they report an abnormality in the church's power. They've witnessed up close and personal why our lights have gone off. We got church splits and we got generational gaps and religious arrogance and irrelevant preaching and monotonous ministries and jealousy and leadership and competition among the saints and segregated Sundays and women still dealing with sexism and practicing religion instead of living in relationship with God. And we got double lives where we're holy inside the house, but a hot mess in our own house. The lights went off while the world was watching and our adversary has been scheming. They've been revising their game against our churches and against our families and against the poor and against the widows and against the sick and against our young people and even I would say against our own people. But we've been so caught up in religiosity and tradition and the way that we've always done things that we can't even see the momentum shift coming. It's happening right before our eyes. Folk using their so-called Christianity for political gain. But when the poor need food and when the naked need clothing, these same so-called Christians don't put policies in place that line up with their pious proclamations. It's happening right before our eyes. 
efforts to repeal and replace a law enacted with the intention to care for the health of every man, but these same so-called leaders decided that health care should be a privilege for just some men is happening right before our eyes. Hate rhetoric traveling across the country and even on Twitter with the audacity to tell an entire religion of people that they're not welcome when the evidence of spiritual fruit is not even visible in the leadership we got right now. What's happening right before our eyes when there are body cams that can capture a killing every single week and week after week, acquittal after acquittal, non-guilty verdict after non-guilty verdict. It's happening right before our eyes. And here's the real tragedy is that the church is still on the sideline. The church has been caught with her slip hanging. She's been muzzled in the midst of all hell breaking loose. I said that. The church is suffering from a nasty case of pulpit paralysis when the women of God opt to say nothing about all hell breaking loose. The world is watching us, but our lights have been off. In, in the text we find in Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching. He's giving good context for good Christian living. And by this time in his life, he had already been baptized. He had already been tempted by the devil. He had already recruited his disciples. And he found himself being followed by the multitudes everywhere he went. And then he decided he needed to go up to a mountain. And he began to teach his disciples the necessary game plan known as the Beatitudes. But when we arrive in verses 13 to 16 you'll see that Jesus' narrative shifts a little bit. In the beginning, in those Beatitudes, he's telling them how you are to be. But the shift in 13 to 16 is not how you are, but who you are. The proclamation of Jesus is even relevant today, church. In society, the church has fallen short and missed the mark to operate as an effective change agent while representing who Jesus is in the world. And it's because we've misunderstood, we've misrepresented, and we misinterpreted the power that we have in Christ. In the text, we learn that the church must secure her rightful place as a relevant institution and reflect on the light and the love of Jesus to all men fulfilling our prophetic purpose as disciples for the advancement of the kingdom of God. The world is watching, but our lights have been off. There's a question I need to ask you, and I beg the text to help me answer it. For the sake of the lost today, church, what must we do to turn our lights back on and to operate in a God-ordained destiny and win souls to Christ. First, in order to get those lights back on, we've got to recall who you are in Jesus. Recall who you are in Jesus. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. And Jesus here is speaking in the affirmative to his disciples, and he offers them a definitive description of their existence. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, He's reminding you that your presence in this world actually matters. 
You represent to the world, he says, what I represent to the church. You, church, you are the light of the world. You are a light to the lost. You are a hope to the hopeless. But I need to be honest with you. Something confused me as I read the text. It made no sense for me, for Jesus, right in the middle of sharing the Beatitudes, to switch his direction. He had already chosen these same disciples. But why did he have to tell them who they are if they were with him? That's the question. And I would suggest to you that the Lord in his infinite wisdom knew that you are the light of the world was going to be relevant even in 2017 because there were some dark hours coming in your life. And somebody needs to be reminded that there are two words in the text that should carry you through every single day. You are. You are. Don't miss this. I believe that we have come to a point where the church needs to be reminded of who we are. In recent times, we've faced living through a recession, declining memberships, missing millennials, heartbreak, scandal, drama. And you can, if you can say you haven't gone through any of that, you just wait. Just keep living. Because here's what I know. Living for the Lord and serving in ministry can at times be so discouraging that you can get to a place where you no longer have the passion for the vision God imparted in your life. And you might even be so overwhelmed with your circumstance that you don't even see the evidence of a light in your journey. Some of you right now are holding on for dear lives. You're trying to save your marriage. You're trying to save your children. You're trying to save your job. You're trying to live from depression. You're trying to deal with the drama in your homes. And you don't even know who you are. And if I'm talking to you today, I want to let you know that now is the time to recall who you are in Jesus. Do you know who you are? Do you know your name? You are heirs of a throne. You are the king's kids. You are blessed. You are covered. You are amazing. You are God's chosen. Do you know your name? I was in first grade. And I was a feisty little something at six. It's paybacks for that little boy. And my mama used to tell me this all the time. She said, don't answer to anything other than who you are. Didn't even know what that meant. Don't answer to anything other than your name. And so I was in first grade assembly. You know, that's the time where they call the roll, where everybody has to stand in line and get the name called. And they call all the names. And my name is Siobhan Arline, so I'm early in the bunch. And then they call Sharon Arlene. I was waiting for her to come. I didn't know where she was. So I just sat there and looked. And she said, absent. And then they got all the way down to the W's and the Y's. And she said, if I didn't call your name, please raise your hand. And so the lady said, come here, come here, come here, come here. What's your name? I said, Siobhan Louise Arline. And she said, I already called your name. I said, no, you didn't. My mom told me, if you don't call me my name, I don't have to answer to what my name is. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but some of you don't know your name. Some of you don't know the value of who you are. So let me, let me help you with this. I am Siobhan Louise Arline Bradley. I am the wife of Andrew Bradley. I am the mother of Micah Bradley. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am blessed. I am black. I am woman. I am beautiful. I know who, you need some help. 
Greater little Zion, I know your name. You are a church, a body of believers. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. You are blessed where you come and where you go. And the last time I looked, I knew my name. Y'all need some hurt. You need to practice that. You are an effective ministry. You are prepared to expand your territory. No man has seen what God is about to do in this church. But I got to acknowledge something. The challenge we have in the body of Christ is we've let life get in front of living. What does that mean, preacher? You've let your stuff, your problems, your circumstances get in front of your living for Christ. All those things, all those distractions have sucked the life and the light out of you. And you forgot who you were. When I stop by to tell you this, when you are feeling the weight of the world on your back, You've got to recall that there is something different about you. There's something different about your gifts. There's something different about your ministry. There's something different about your household. So, yeah, there's going to be persecution, but you've got two words in your book. You are. There'll be trials. There'll be tribulations, but you are. There'll be haters all around you, but you are. There'll be skeptics that tell you your gifts aren't good, but you are. There'll be financial setbacks, but you are. Now come back to the text. Come on, come on back. I'm in verse 14 again. The phrase in 14a continues, and I don't want you to miss this. You are the light of the world. Now, in the Greek, that is translated as phos cosmos. And phos is akin to phaeo. Phaeo, that means light, or to give light. But I want you to hear this completely. It's expressed in the text to say, to give light, light as seen by the eyes, but metaphorically as reaching your mind. Because that's deep. In other words, to understand that you are the light of the world means you got to change your mindset. If you are the light of the world, that means what you radiate is actually mind-blowing. What you give off in your light is actually mind-altering. And when you can change your mind about your situation then things happen around you. Church, it's time to activate your metaphoric fail this morning. Change the way you view and recall who you are in Jesus. Is there anybody that knows what recollection time is? It's time to recall what God has done for you. It's time to recall how he has blessed you. It's time to recall his work in your home. It's time to recall his hand in your ministry. It's time to recall his hand when the doctor said no, but God said yes. It's time to recall when there was no money in your pocket and the bill got paid anyway. Recall. I release this church now in the name of Jesus of spiritual amnesia to right now. Stop forgetting who the heck you are. Stop forgetting who you serve. Stop forgetting how blessed God has done for you, what he has done for you, the blessings that he's brought to you. I don't know about you, but sometimes we got to be reminded that in order to get our lights back on, we got to recall who we are in Jesus. Not only must we recall who we are in Jesus, but... In order to turn your lights back on and to operate in your God-given ordained destiny and win souls to Christ, 
We've got to reconnect to the source. We've got to reconnect to the source. Now, look at verse 15. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, my favorite Sunday school, hands down, all-time song was This Little Light of Mine. Because the best part of the song was when they said, hide it under a bushel. We would go, no. I waited for that part every Sunday because I knew we were going to sing it every Sunday. I'm going to let it shine. But here's what I found, that there is no Sunday school version of this scripture because it won't give you any justice for what the word is really saying. You see, there's going to be a lot of preachers that will look at this text and say to you that the purpose of this text was that there can be no darkness and light together. They'll say, when there's darkness, there's no presence of light. And when there's presence of light, there's no darkness. And that's absolutely true. But here's what I want you to see, church. That is true that there can be no darkness in the presence of light. But there can be no light without the right source of connection. Don't, don't miss that. Darkness and light, no, they can't coexist. But you can't have any light without a connection to a source. Now, your ability to be the light of the world is based on an uninterrupted connection to the equipped source of this light. And if your connection is not strong, if your connection is blocked, don't worry about it. She's okay. That's what babies do. Let her go. It's all right. It's all right. When you have a blocked connection, see how I went back into the word? then that is what affects your ability to see light. Church, if your connection is not strong, you will have some dark living in your life. The church has to put itself in position to assess our signal strength. You see, there's sensing mechanisms that have found an abnormality in our power system that triggered an automatic shutdown. Saints, the bottom line is we've not been operating on our full power. We're running actually on backup systems. And it's because there's a real disconnect in the church. We're so caught up in doing the business of the church that we have lost the sight of the very reason why the church is in existence. There's a real disconnect when there's more board meetings than prayer meetings. There's a real disconnect when there's more catty chatter than conversations with Christ. There's a real disconnect when you got more votes on insignificant things than voices of praise and worship. There's a real disconnect. We're so deep in the weeds, church, of operating as a church, and we've forgotten that we're supposed to be living as the church. Don't miss that. We are operating as a church, as a business, as a commodity. When we're supposed to be living the life, as the church for the world. And to our detriment, we consider those futile things as our actual source of strength. Let me tell you what I mean. I, I was in the Sprint store, and I saw this girl, and I told him this morning, she looked like a Keisha to me, so I'm gonna call her Keisha. <laughs> she, looked like a, she looked like one of my cousins, I got a great cousin named Keisha. And she was, yeah, I mean, she went off on a man by, you don't know what you're doing, my phone, I mean, her neck was, I mean, she was giving the man the business. You, I pay my bill. I don't know what's wrong with you incompetent. She went off. 
And the coolest thing about me watching this thing, a scene in front of me was I watched the man the whole time. He would go, mm-hmm. She's like, you know how guys do. Mm-hmm. And then she stopped. Somebody better help me. He said, ma'am, I, I think I know the problem. She said, well, you better tell me what the problem is because I have been paying my bills. And he just went back into a stance. Mm-hmm. Yep. And by the time she finished, he said, ma'am, I think I know what your problem is. You never plugged it in. I don't know who I'm talking to. Her phone had all the bells and whistles. It was glittery and glamoury, and the dumb thing wouldn't work because she didn't have the right connection to operate the phone. Church, that's what we looking like right now. Going all off on people, acting like we're doing the right things, and ain't got no connection. Because we forgot the basics. We forgot the basics. Go, you know, go to church and be nice to people and, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the good things. We are no longer plugged into the right source. And we're complaining that things aren't working and we can't get people to serve. Well, you never plugged in. You operating on backup systems. You're whining instead of worshiping. You're perpetuating drama instead of praying for people. You're operating on foolishness when you should be operating in faith. You're not plugged in. And church, you got to be careful. Hear this. This is big. When there's no power source, then there's no presence. And when there's no presence, you get perpetrated praise and pranks the pulpit people. There's no power source. Then there's no presence. And without the presence, you get perpetrated praise and pranks the pulpit people. It's called a show. It's called entertainment on Sunday. With no connection to the source. Church, if we're going to establish uninterrupted connection with the main source of power, I need you to put yourself in position. What you mean, preacher? Well, there's a universal sign that I need you to see today. When your teacher calls you in class and acknowledges you, you're supposed to raise your hand. When you're at the wedding and the bride is about to throw the bouquet, Girls, you, <laughs> you get in position. And some of you are serious too, boy. I've seen it. My wedding was nuts. They went crazy. You get in position. When God makes a way out of no way, <laughs> you get in position. <laughs> when God decides to bless you with something and you know you don't deserve it, <laughs> you got to get in position. When you want real connection, you better learn how to lift your hands up. You need to learn how to lift your hands in humble submission and lift your hands in anticipation and lift your hands in praise and lift your hands in God. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what I did, but I promise you, I want to stay connected to the source. 
You got to get back to the basics, church. You got to stay in the word and keep your connection. You got to stand in his face and keep the connection. You got to pray without ceasing and stay connected. I got to get out of here. If you want your lights back on, not only must you know who you are in Jesus, and not only must you reconnect to the source, but finally, church, if you want to turn the lights back on and operate in our God-ordained ministry and destiny and win souls to Christ, we've got to radiate God's presence to the world around us. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Newsflash, church. Hot off the press. The church has done a terrible job of being a representative in the world. We got disgruntled ex-church people. We don't take in broken people. We do service projects for our own kids. We don't want certain people walking inside of our walls. Houston, we got a problem. And let me, let me do it this way. I, I told him this morning, this is how the world sees the church. But we're really doing a lot of things. I mean, we're really active. We have a lot of opportunities. We're amazing. We are the church. Don't you want to be a part of my church? You're doing all that talking. Can't nobody even see you. If I preached my sermon like this the entire time, you'd be sending emails right now in the middle of the service. This girl got up there and preached and did all this talking and couldn't nobody even see me. Talking about you've got programs. You are relevant, but you won't even get on social media. You got programs and you're relevant, but you won't do any community outreach around the community that you are actually in. Talking about you got programs and you won't bring in political conversations in your church. Talking about you got programs. When HIV is running rampant in the black church, talk about you got programs. Let's be honest, church. You're doing a lot of talking, but nobody can't even... So I caution the church, stop telling the world that they're lost. Because if you're not willing to do the work to get them in, who's lost? Telling the world of his works and showing the people that they matter to you. Radiating his presence means when you are ready to be the Jesus that they never could have seen. So let's have a practical conversation, church. I'm about to get out of here. If you're not a happy person, don't be a greeter. Praise the Lord. If you are not a people person, please don't be an usher. Because you know that. Let's be practical. See, we're not practical enough in church. If you don't like kids, don't teach kiddies Sunday school. They're like this little lie. We are putting people in the wrong positions. And so we are affecting the ability for the church to expand this ministry because you got the wrong folk in the wrong place at the wrong time and it is messing up your ability to be a practical ministry. When I read this verse, I really decided that I found out what the real challenge is. Church, we got a marketing problem. Come on, Hugh. The sales reps in the church 
are doing a terrible job for business. Some of our representatives don't even want to connect to the customers. Uh-huh. There are no welcome signs or welcoming faces. We know the world only responds to what they see so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what the text says. I tell everybody this all the time. This verse should be on the cover of every brochure for business schools across the country. If you ever heard about a marketing class, ever got an MBA, there's four P's in marketing. There's product, there's placement, there's promotion, and then there's price. There's product, there's placement, there's promotion, and then there's price. Now why is product important? Because we gotta know what you're selling. And last time I looked, the product on the table was salvation. And it was created and sent to us by the one who died on the cross for you and me who stretched his hands wide and hung his head until he died. We've got a good product on the market called salvation. But here's the question. Where's the placement? You need to put salvation on the top shelf. Come on, church. Come on, top shelf. Come on, top shelf. Don't miss it. Because if you place your product on the wrong shelf, nobody's going to see it. So if you're not talking about Jesus, if you're not living a life for Jesus, then your placement will mess up the whole plan for the product. But there's a third P, promotion. People put millions of dollars into advertising because they want you to see what they got. So they pay money to be placed in the right places in the store, but then they do promotion, and that's praise and worship. Promotion. I sing the praises of Jesus. He's so awesome. He's a great God. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I... That's promotion. But then there's the fourth P. The question is, if my product has a shot to even go viral, how much does it cost? Well, I got good news for you, church. The last time I looked, that product that we call salvation, that we have placed and promoted to the world, last time I looked, it cost zero, zero, zero. That price is free. We are free because he died for us. And now I'm free to live. I'm free to worship. I'm free to witness because Jesus, he paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And because he paid it all, greater little Zion, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I need you to hear this. If you don't shine your light, there will be hell to pay. People will lose their lives. People will lose their ministries. People will lose their minds. I don't know about you, but I am excited about the opportunity to turn my lights back on. The entire world has been watching us, but our lights have been off. But I speak to you now, no more dark living, no more dark worship, no more dark ministry, no more dark attitudes, no more dark disconnects, no more dark segregation, no more dark racism, no more dark classism, no more dark sexism, Last time I looked, y'all better turn the lights back on.